0: Fucking killing me, Smalls. <laughs> oh, we we officially started. Yeah. Oh, well, you're fucking killing me, Smalls. That was three different starts. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, if you are tuning in for the first time, thank you. Uh, you're we're gonna waste about an hour of your time of hanging out with us. I'm uh I'm Parker DJ Zero Cool, joining me in studio today my good friend Zach, uh and co-chair, uh, Cassidy Liederbach. Um, we'll start out with Zach. Zach. Uh you were one of the first people I thought about having on here and it was because of the fact that we were hanging out one night and you were tell- telling me all these stories about your time uh, overseas and being in the Air Force so why don't you tell me a little bit about your background and, and what you did for the Air Force yeah sure um, so I'll give you a little bit of background which
1: is kind of cool is um, probably about 2004 ish you know um, dropped out of college i'm sitting around i'm like man you know i'm not doing anything i'm drinking at college parties even though i don't even go to college i need to do something with my life i'm you know 20 years old now but the catch was i weighed about 310 pounds Mm -hmm. so one day i just said screw it i'm gonna start working out a couple months go by i'm down 50 60 pounds couple more months go by i'm actually almost at my weight where i can enlist so i said hey i'm gonna enlist so I uh, went into the uh, recruiter's office, and funny story, um, did not have a branch picked out at all. And it was pretty much whoever was in their office at the time, I'm going to talk to that guy.
2: Mm
1: -hmm. And their Marine recruiter was actually outside of his office having a cigarette. And he saw me getting ready to go into the Air Force office, and he goes, are you sure you want to do that? Mm -hmm. And I was like, what do you mean? You know, (laughs) I'm sure you hear this from a lot of people. He's like, you don't want to join the Air Force, they're a bunch of pussies. And I went, I looked at him, I'm like, hey, you know what? Thank you for making my mind up for me. And I walked right into the recruiter's office, the Air Force recruiter's office. And I was like, that is not what I want to deal with for the next however many years of my life. So I ended up going to the recruiter, um, wanted to do something, you know, to utilize, maybe like an intelligence or something like that, but didn't really have any idea what I wanted to do. Um, one of the things I found out was they're all different branches have linguists. Mm-hmm. We get to learn, learn a language. Um, potentially travel the world, use your language. It's a great skill to have after you get out. And, uh, one of the things the air force offers is you can actually fly. So that's what these funky headsets are that are just a prop for this or my flying headset. Um, so I said, that sounds like a really cool job. Let me do that. Well, what they didn't tell me is that's three years of training before you even get to fly. Oh, wow. So I ended up leaving for basic training in June of Oh six. And, uh, Went through basic training, went through aircrew school, then I spent two years in Monterey, California, at the Defense Language Institute, learning Korean mm-hmm. from six Korean teachers. Six kids do a classroom, seven hours a day, five days a week, nothing but Korean.
0: Holy shit! So you're doing thirty hours a week, yeah, of just yeah. straight Korean. It's
1: four hours of homework a night, speaking Korean all day, all night. Oh wow! And it's it's just no joke. So oh shit.
0: Dude, good catch. Yeah, we don't even have any napkins in here anything that we need we have to send Randon out for. By the way, <laughs> before we go any further, a big shout out to my little brother Randon, who's been producing this for the last two weeks and and hopefully after this week still doing it, you know, we've we've ran into a ton of issues so far. But so you, you have thirty hours of Korean language that you're that you're learning. Um and then on top of that you're doing four hours of homework. And we uh, were were you stationed in South Korea then as well? Do you know
1: what the funny story is or funny thing is I spent Two years learning Korean, a year, another year plus learning how to fly in a military airplane, and I spent zero days in my life in South Korea. Oh, my God. So after language school, which was basically just, you know, party for the... It was a college for the military. We mm-hmm. had dorms, you know, we partied, you know, had beer pong parties and big, you know, outdoor parties and went out and caused havoc in the town, and um, the only difference was we just wore a uniform during the day. <laughs> but it was college. It was two yeah. years of college. So... Go to Texas for a couple months, learn how to do all the Intel stuff, and then I get stationed in Tucson. So, thanks, sir. Yeah. Tucson, not really where I expected to go. You know, join to see the world, learn Korean, and they put me in Tucson, Arizona. (laughs) And I knew that I'd probably spend the next three years of my life before I got out in Arizona without ever going anywhere else. There's probably six Korean people in all of Tucson, and I made damn sure that I met all of them so I could at least (laughs) try and keep my language up a little bit. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I spent the next three years in Tucson and I had two deployments in those three years and then I got out, uh, after my six and moved back home.
0: So we were talking, uh, when we were hanging out at the bar, um, you were telling me like stories of when you were stationed overseas. Yeah. Um, can, can you elaborate on some of those? We'll start with, uh, the, the really funny one that I think is hilarious is that you're telling me about how your pilot was, you were an autopilot and he was like reading a book and yeah. you guys were circling, I think outside of Turkey. No, we were uh, we were on the Afghan-Pakistan border. So, a
1: little backstory on that was like I said, I spent three years learning my job, mm-hmm. and then the minute that I graduated and I got my aircrew wings, started flying. You know, as a full full member of the air crew, the uh, Air Force didn't have a need for me. You know, I mm-hmm. had my job, I was trained. We're not at war with North Korea, so it's like, well, am I just going to sit here and just train, or what do I get to do? So there was a uh, opportunity to. Um, To uh, volunteer for a special ops deployment Mm -hmm. with a joint task force that does just straight anti-terror you know even though we're in afghanistan we're not going after the the guys on the ground that are just you know causing trouble we're going after the big guys the terrorists al-qaeda guys the high up figures so i said well if i'm going to spend three more years in the air force i might as well do something cool so i did a, i ended up doing about nine months in afghanistan in 2010 and the story that you know that i i told you that one night was actually pretty funny is um we flew usually most of those guys you know they come across the border between pakistan and afghanistan up in the mountains
0: those guys as in insurgents or... yes okay yeah
1: sorry so there's other terms that we use but that's yeah. that's a nice way of saying it um but they're terrorists yeah most of them are al-qaeda facilitators bringing foreign fighters in um, you know, they're way up in the mountains, they feel safe up there. So we have to fly these small little planes along the border. <clears throat> and, uh, a lot of times you put the autopilot on and you don't think about, you know, the pilots are up there. Most of my flew with were contractors and they would just sit up there and read a book, you know, wasting time. Cause they're not really doing part of the mission. And, uh, one day I'm sitting there, I got my head down on my laptop. I'm doing my job and I notice cause you're flying in a bank. For three four hours at a time because you're flying in a circle yeah so you forget that you're in a bank you know your, your equilibrium gets jacked up so it took me a few minutes and I looked out the window I'm like I think we're straight well okay that's that's probably not good so I looked at my screen on my on my computer and we were about five miles inside Pakistan which is obviously not a very good thing not a very good place to be um, scared me shitless <laughs> And I immediately jumped on my radio and I said, pilot, you know, and I gave him my call sign, whatever it was for the day. And I said, Hey, can you check our pause, our position? And he looked down and he's like, Oh, hang on. And he grabbed the the flight yoke and we banked probably 45 degrees back. And he took us back in Afghanistan and <laughs> you know, all the shit went flying in the plane cause nothing's secure. And yeah. he's like, I'm sorry. I was reading a book. I wasn't paying attention. <laughs> you know, the wind was strong. It kicked the autopilot off and nobody realized the plane leveled out. Yeah. So we're just flying into Pakistan. I'm sure the guy on the ground, you know, looking at the uh the radar screen is probably like, Look at these idiots, you know. <laughs> they have no idea where they're flying. You know, and I, I just I, I really wish I could meet that Pakistani uh radar controller guy and just <laughs> Ask him. Yeah, like, how close were you to shooting us down that
0: day? Thanks <laughs> not shooting us down. We
1: unintentionally invaded your country. Yeah. It was an accident, I promise.
0: So, when when you're in the back of the plane, so you said you're on your computer. Are you running Intel then? And you're running, like, you're just seeing what's going on in the mountains? Like, how does that all work?
1: So, obviously, there's some stuff, you know, that we can not talk about. Yeah. So, um, I mean, obviously,
0: yeah. obviously, please do not give <laughs> out any classified Information on this podcast. I enjoy my freedom very much. Government, if you are listening, uh it's not me, it's <laughs> Giving us yeah, this, this information. This is
1: all for entertainment <laughs> purposes only. None of this is true. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, everybody knows that we have planes that do surveillance. Um, you know, everybody thinks of that and they think drones. Mm-hmm. Well, we don't just have drones, we have manned airplanes that do the same exact thing. So, you know, we had, you know, the, the sensors on the bottom that have the camera you know, we got the infrared on the camera. Um, we have some signals intelligence equipment that I can't really divulge, mm-hmm. but I, me being a linguist and having my Intel background, that's kind of where I fit in. So everybody kind of did a little bit of everything, mm-hmm. everybody meaning me and the other guy, not the pilots. Yeah. But, um, yeah, we had some really cool, you know, tools on there to, to do our job. And usually we had a, a set, you know, mission list of things we need to do or look for. Mm-hmm. We had some autonomy, but, um, Usually we had, we had a target list and we kind of knew what we were doing for the day. So it wasn't necessarily going out and trying to find bad guys. It was, you know, finding what the bad guys are doing at that time and just kind of keeping an eye on what's what pattern of life there is, you know, what people are doing.
0: So, so for that, you're just keeping an eye on these guys and seeing what they're doing. Like, for example, like if – I don't know. I'm going to use this as an example. Like, okay, they spent this day doing training. They spent this day off, like – we saw some dudes, like, you know, they're yeah. out running around and stuff like that, or I don't know if they drink or whatever troop, over there. Troop
3: movements. Et troop et movement,
0: yeah. Cassie, pull your mic a little bit closer and lower that down a little bit, because you're coming in. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, talk again really quick. Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, I can hear you now. Yep.
1: Um, Funnily enough, or funny, whatever that word is enough. Funnily? You know? Shut up. You know what I'm trying to say. <laughs> um, they played a lot of volleyball. Oh, really? A lot of volleyball. Um, Not as much soccer as you'd think. Mm-hmm been really like volleyball. That's weird. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I don't know how they did it. I don't know what kind of hops those guys have, but they played a lot of volleyball.
0: So are those guys like? Here is what I am picturing in my head. I am picturing these guys are up in the mountains. They're treating this like any other like North Wisconsin camping trip. There is tents. There is maybe a trailer. Uh, maybe a couple. Maybe a couple outhouses and stuff like that. What exactly? What, what's like? What's their life like up in the mountains?
1: Well, I mean, there is there's different levels um you know you got the villagers that have been living there for thousands of years those are um their ethnic pashtun they mm-hmm. speak Pasht- pashti or is pashtu um that it's a beautiful culture it's a beautiful you know group of people they're very very welcome to outsiders mm-hmm. but they are also very very strictly you know very very fundamentalist and a lot of the, a lot of times and Funny. Um, I'm sorry. Re- to for the out. religion.
0: Okay. That's why I, I was looking for the yeah. clarification. Huh? Yeah.
1: So and they're they're very strong willed people. Very, very strong willed people. So for the majority of the war in Afghanistan, a lot of that fighting was in that area, meaning the eastern part, like on the border. <clears throat> in the tri- they call them the tribal areas. So those people we usually didn't have any issues with, but it was the facilitators coming in through Pakistan that were using those villages as a, like a place to funnel people in or as a place to attack from knowing that there's civilian population there too. So it really wasn't, I mean, we didn't really run into like a lot of, you know, camps in the mountains with tents and bedrolls and stuff like that. We ran into a lot of uh, them hiding in villages among the population because they knew that's where they were safe.
0: Oh, that's crazy. So let me ask this, would the villagers that like, for example, like if there's some dude that doesn't belong in, like, for example, there's some dude in this building that I live in that doesn't belong here. I'm like, Hey. This guy doesn't belong here. Like, were the villagers coming up to you guys and being like, hey, like, this guy doesn't belong here, or this group of people don't belong here? Yeah. So, like, how does <clears> – <throat> I know you're more so in intelligence, but how does the the people that are on the ground, how, how exactly do they handle that then? Is it – do they come in and pull these guys out, or do they take their time and come in? Like, how is that handled?
1: Well, usually for, like, for, for my role, right – I did more, I like, guess, you know, I was on the, the Special Ops side of yeah. things, so we didn't actually own that battle space that we were operating
0: in. So, what, what do you mean you didn't own the battle space? So
1: each part of a country that we occupy at any given time is broken up into different, you know, um, areas where a different unit will control the area, okay. different American unit. Or, excuse me, in Afghanistan's case, like the Brits controlled a part of, like, southwestern Afghanistan, and those units rotate, so... Um, Depending on the time of the year and what area you're in, maybe it's like a, you know, a, a unit from the 101st Airborne, or maybe it's you know, the, um, 10th Mountain Division, you know, different army units, different marine units operated in the south quite a bit. Mm-hmm. So we kind of operated under the radar in those areas. We let them know we were out there, but we didn't really tell them what we were doing. So I didn't really have a lot of uh, like day-to-day interaction with the people that we were, you know, um, working against. It was more. Um, I had a real specific set of instructions that I was supposed to do, and we tried to stay out of each other's way, meaning um, me and the army units on the ground. Okay. Okay. So, but I mean, as far as like you asked, like I mean, somebody that lives down there, they're not going to tell an army unit, you know, an army guy, like, hey, there's a bad guy in my
0: house because his family will get
1: killed. Oh so. wow.
0: Well, I mean, there was a there was I was just watching uh, an old piece. I was trying to prepare for this. I was watching an old piece about i think we were actually talking about this before the show where obama like the one time that like any government has ever listened to the people was when obama wanted to invade syria yeah and the people just spoke out and were like that's a horrible idea like don't do this uh but on the back end of that the people that were occupying it slaughtered tons yeah. of families because they were occupying that area and took over the territory so the ba- like i was trying to figure out like what's the balance there um of them trying to protect their family their livelihood and then trying to keep these people out like is it one of those things that these guys are here they understand that and they're just trying to deal with it or is it them trying to literally just being like hey it <laughs> yeah
1: and, and as far as Syria is like concerned you know I think that was just a perfect perfect shitstorm I mean it was it was gonna happen um, there are so many different elements at play in Syria I think that was one of the main reasons why we, I mean, if, yeah, we ended up going into Syria a little bit, usually, and that was primarily just to get rid of, um, to help root out ISIS once they took over. But, you know, there were plans when um, the Syrian president initially started attacking his people and the civil war started. There were initial plans to, like, you know, maybe help squash that. Oh, that's right. I totally forgot about that. He was
0: using mustard gas on his Yeah, I mean, back- he was
1: dropping chlorine out of helicopters and, you know, and gassing his own people and he was doing a lot of crazy stuff but syria is backed by russia you know we didn't want to get into a proxy war again with russia so in syria actually even though you know you don't think of them as like a world power they do have a formidable you know fighting force Mm -hmm. and like i said they're backed by russia so we very um very in my opinion very i mean i'm obviously not an expert on this type of stuff but i think it was a good move to not get involved in that because then we would have got you know sucked into like a global conflict possibly. Yeah. Um, ISIS was just kind of a perfect, like I said, a perfect storm of. There's a huge power vacuum when we left Iraq. I was at I was in Iraq in the end of 2011. We left at the end of 2011, and then by 2013, uh, ISIS controlled like 25 percent of the country, and they filtered into Syria and a lot of those, um, you know, desert regions. Mm -hmm. And once they built up their power, they started taking over some cities, they started fighting with the Syrian government, and it just, then we kind of had to get involved at that point.
0: So did you redeploy for that, or were you I was already out. Okay.
1: So I had a lot of friends, you know, when the uh, Iraqi war ended, um, or when we thought it ended in 2011, a lot of us were like, oh, you know, thank God, maybe we'll stop deploying so much. Mm -hmm. And then this kicked off, and then people are going right back over there, so... It's two separate conflicts but it really never ended There was like a maybe a year gap where it slowed down That's about it.
0: <clears throat> Dude I, I gotta say from from everything that we've talked about in the past leading up to this um, number one I, th- I think I said this at the beginning I'm still trying to remember um, when I kicked around this idea of doing this podcast um, we had spent a night of just you told me like a ton of stories. I don't know exactly what you can we can tell one of the funniest ones, was the two neighbors that you're telling me about i can tell that okay
1: yeah all right yeah there's no there's no secrets in that
0: one all right all right cool so number one (laughs) (laughs) number one folks definitely one of the best ones if you have kids listening i'm I'm gonna ask you to kind of shy away but this one's pretty freaking hilarious but um as i was saying before you were one of the guys that when i said i was like I i wanted to do this podcast you were one of the first people i thought of and this whole night and the whole stories that you, that you went into was part of the reason for this because I was like, dude, I was like, this shit's fucking hilarious. Why don't you go ahead and tell me about the the two neighbors? Yeah. So. So wait, wait, time out. Set yeah. the scene for me. Were you were you wearing a drone or were you up in a plane for this? Always one? in a plane. Okay.
1: Yeah. I only flew in, in
0: planes. Okay. And, so uh, for some of these, I thought you were doing drone stuff. So. No,
1: I mean there are drones that do the same work, but mm-hmm. I always flew. Okay. And. I think in. Seven months of flying in Afghanistan, I had 160 combat flights. Usually that's only limited by you can only fly so many hours before you have to get grounded to rest. Why is that? Um, They just don't want fatigue. That's when accidents happen. Oh, okay. Planes crash.
3: Accidentally flying to other countries. Yeah, exactly. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) I don't
1: think the contractors I flew with flew under the same rules as I did that day because they obviously weren't paying attention. Same
3: rules as in, you know, pretty much making a war yeah with another country
1: <laughs> um funny story about that real quick though is you know if those guys ever did have a bad day or they weren't feeling well a lot of times they just go take a nap in the back of the plane and they'd be like hey sharp come up here and fly for a little while <laughs> it's like i can do that so i'd you know take my laptop up with me or i would just sit in the co-pilot seat and they'd give me a real quick intro on how to operate the flight controls they tell me don't touch the rudder pedals only touch the yoke mm-hmm. and they'd say push the yoke down the buildings get bigger you pull <laughs> it back they get smaller but if you keep pulling it back they get bigger again as you flip over. Oh, okay. <laughs> so don't do that. So, so that's all I needed. So I probably logged maybe a couple
3: hours of flying too when I was over there. The laptop was for the YouTube, like how to fly. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly. Cool.
1: Just you know to set the set the scene for me. Um, but yeah, this particular night, we flew. We had ops 24 hours a day. Mm-hmm. You know, the war doesn't stop because people. You know, some people are asleep. So that particular night, um, I was flying at midnight. I hated that shift. I think that was the first uh, shift alpha. It's like two AM to six AM. There's nothing going on, you know. Yeah. <clears throat> and um, without giving too many specifics, we were, you know, flying over a target and um it's basically just a compound in a village out in the middle of nowhere in like central Afghanistan. And somebody who very likely could have been somebody we were, you know, keeping an eye on or not, you know, can't really tell. It's dark, it's you're flying at, you know, twenty thousand feet. This guy comes out and that's rare you know, their outhouses are outside. Mm-hmm. So I expected him to go towards his outhouse. Well, he didn't. He climbs over. So to set the scene, right? In Afghanistan, out in the country, people living, families living in compounds. You might have multiple extended families living in one compound. Like in a,
0: an apartment building?
1: or It's mud brick. So it's like six, eight feet high walls of made of mud brick. And then they build the living parts into the corners of the rectangular
0: compound. Oh, so it's kind of like uh, a house with a couple different rooms and then each family occupies different rooms? Yeah, so you,
1: know, you have the four corners of the rectangle. There might be like a sheep pen on this corner. Oh, okay. There might be like the in-law living in this corner. You might have the main family living in this corner. There's no buildings in the middle usually. Okay. Um, So the guy leaves the house, does not go to the outhouse. I'm like, okay, that's interesting. We got him zoomed in on the camera and we're watching him and he climbs somehow. He climbs over the wall. Well, the neighbor's compound. There might have been six feet of room between his wall and the neighbor's wall. He climbs that wall. I'm like, okay, this is getting really interesting because he's by himself. It's two in the morning, two thirty yeah. in the morning. He walks over to in front of his neighbor's house and he vomits all over the place. <laughs> okay, that's that's strange. Maybe he was going to talk to his neighbor and he got. I don't know. You know. So at this yeah. point, I'm like, this is getting interesting, but it could be anything. Yeah. Um, I figured out what he was doing when he then turned around, lifted up the back of his, you know, sleeping like little thing. And, and then he just shit all over <laughs> the front of his neighbor's house. I mean, it just, obviously it's not in great detail cause we're flying and it's nighttime, but in yeah. infrared, you can see the hot spots. I mean, it's, <laughs> there's some shit coming out. So they, I'm like, I'm, you know, I'm, I got the guys in the ground in my ear asking what the hell they're watching because we transmit our feedback down to the ground. Mm-hmm. I'm, I don't know. I've never seen this. This isn't a move that I would go with. Um, <laughs> so he climbs back over the wall, goes back into his house, and that was the last time we saw him until 6 a.m.
0: Nothing. Neighbor yeah. just comes out and is like, just assumes like someone just yeah, puked I, and shit on his front door. Yeah,
1: I was off station already by the time that the neighbor got up, so I didn't get to see the outcome of that. I really <laughs> wish I would have been there. Um, but, I mean, I can honestly say I never thought I would have deployed and saw something like that. I mean, that's, that's as petty as it gets. That's as <laughs> random as it gets. And, you know, I guess even the bad guys do pranks on their neighbors too, I guess. but
3: I would love to see the guy wake up in the morning and slip and fall on that.
1: Yeah, you know, <laughs> it's like he could have maybe assumed it was a goat so that got out. I mean... He would have had no idea it was his neighbor. Yeah, it was like you know what, screw this guy. I'm just gonna go shit all over the side of his house. That's just fucking. But awesome. I was like, you know what, I'm 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 glad that I could
0: experience this because I get to tell stories like this on your podcast. So, dude, I would let me ask you this: What like are you guys ever able? And I'm not asking for the footage, but are you guys ever able to just record that and just like you play them back at Christmas parties and be like, hey, let's see that time. The neighbor took a shit on the other guy's house. <laughs> you know, everything does get recorded. Nothing gets
1: released. OK. Um, The stuff that you see sometimes on YouTube, you know, or, you know, the president might declassify something. If it's like when we took out um, Baghdadi and Syria, you know, the head of ISIS, mm-hmm. they'll declassify that. But every second of that footage gets gets saved, recorded, and saved. Dude, um,
0: can we can we get our new president to declassify this? I want to follow this story and be like, what the fuck happened the next day? I was really hoping,
1: <laughs> I was really hoping, you know, Trump at the end was gonna be like, you know what, screw everybody, I'm just, I'm opening up the floodgates
0: and. Well, they're they got to open up with the last stimulus package. They have what like I think it's like a hundred and sixty days now to they got to release all the information on UFOs and yeah. stuff like that. So I'm like. I can't wait. Yeah, I know. That's that's totally going to happen where it's like people are like, see, we were right. We totally need to storm Area 51. Boom. Let's go get them. See, now. I don't
1: know the answer to that question because I get asked that by, you know, it's it's funny when people find out you're in the military and you deployed. The first question they ask, I'm sure, you know, is, did you ever kill anybody? Yeah, that's that's not okay. If anybody out there listening has friends that they have never talked to about their military experience, don't ask them that question. Yeah. If you're goofing around and you're drunk, ask them that question. Don't just walk up to somebody and ask them that question. Second question everybody asks when they find out you're in Intel. is like, oh, where are the aliens? It's like, I got to be honest, guys. The minute that I got my security clearance, that was the first thing I searched for on the classified <laughs> networks. And I'm like, where are the fucking aliens? They got to be out there somewhere. I, I, I don't know. So
0: You know, that's the funny thing. Like Snowden had said the same thing where he was just like when he was going through everything and he had his top clearance for everything. He was like, one of the things I looked for <clears throat> was, I don't know if there are fucking aliens out yeah, there. Man.
1: This, the scary thing about Snowden was he wasn't military as a contractor yeah. right but because he maintained the networks for NSA, he had to have access to everything
2: mm-hmm.
1: so even though he wasn't in Intel and he was just you know an engineer, he had to have access to every piece of equipment on every network that we have so his clearance was higher than everybody's so you know that's a huge security risk when you have a when you have a contractor that has a clearance higher than some of the people that work at the NSA. Yeah. You know, just because of what he had to have access to. And, you know, I'm sure when he started seeing some of that stuff, when he started poking around, it it, it opened his eyes quite a bit.
0: Well, yeah, he was the one that blew the whistle on yeah. the Patriot Act and that we were spying on our old people. Let me ask you this, though. Have you ever had that clearance? What would be the first thing you'd look up? I think I'd look up if it was like the JFK thing was really an inside job or not.
1: Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, um, funny enough, we have um, in, an Intel version of Wikipedia, wait what it's called intellipedia that's you know that's known so i'm not divulging anything there but
0: i mean this this was unknown to me up until about today i learned
1: yeah we have a wikipedia like a wiki for classified networks too so you know that's how it's easy it's easy to lay out the information in like a wiki format so when you have access to a lot of this stuff you have access to all of these networks and you know you pretty much can look up whatever you want that you're you have access to um, you're not supposed to. That's why they have the need to know. But, you know, if I was researching something for a project, I could just go on Intellipedia and type it in and see what popped up. I'm
0: gonna be up all night tonight going through this. You're not finding that, <laughs> trust me. Oh, so that's not that's not like an no, out clear web? Okay. No, no. Oh. Yeah. See here I was left under the impression I was like, Oh, I can look up anything now? Yeah, we'll do it right now yeah i totally i totally put up the 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 tv monitor now so i can look up just about anything and the cool part is i can mirror it right to my phone so anything i want to look up so it's like not to not to someone text me um yeah i mean there's there's different different levels of classification there's different
1: networks yeah boom um i you know in my career in my job i had i had a fairly decent clearance you know because of the stuff i had to work on but um you know, a lot of people did. So it wasn't, it wasn't like unique to, oh, you have a security clearance, you know. Mm-hmm. You ran into people, especially, I, I remember one time, real quick, funny story. Um, well, funny to me because I've experienced it, you know, mm-hmm. not funny to somebody that hasn't experienced it before. But there was one day we, I, I flew a day mission, which was rare. And, uh, well, I guess early morning, we're coming back to land. And our unit back home, we hadn't talked to, like, the, the pilots hadn't talked to the tower yet. They were communicating on the sat, sat radio satellite radio to our home like the op center mm-hmm. let them know we're coming back and they're like well you guys can't come back I'm like well, why not I'm like we're under attack i'm like okay well this is a this is the base with thirty thousand Amer- americans on it i mean the security that you couldn't believe like we're under attack mm-hmm. and they're like yeah it's it's legit like they're shooting rpgs up at planes that are trying to land you know they have suicide bombers they're dressed in american military uniform i think this was may 19th 2010 uh-huh so i'm like well what are we supposed to do then and they're like well you're gonna have to divert well this isn't you know you can't just like land at any airport you want this is afghanistan yeah so we end up having to land at the uh international airport in kabul which is the capital there <clears throat> we don't have i don't have any money i don't have my wallet um i'm in a classified plane with classified equipment so i can't leave the plane it's 105 degrees out it's the middle of summer i'm in uniform the contractors aren't so they get to go and walk around the airport and i get to sit on the steps of the plane with my m4 and all my gear for like 12 hours <laughs> oh, so wow. we're sitting there and you know i think the attack only lasted a couple hours but we wanted to fly back we couldn't because we didn't have fuel mm-hmm. well we wanted to buy fuel from the air the airport just pay it you know charge it the contractors would charge it on a card well they don't keep their card they keep a copy the airport wouldn't take a copy. So, once the battle ended, the fight ended, we had to have another plane fly over with the credit card so we could charge fuel so we could fly home. <laughs> so, I'm literally sitting there like this, you know, like I said, like 12 hours with nothing to do. Oh, Jesus. And, you know, like I would walk over to the terminal to where I could see my plane still and I'd have a cigarette. I'd have another, you know, military guy, maybe not even from the US, ask me, you know, what plane are you on? What do you do? You know, obviously I can't tell him anything, but. Yeah. That's how I spent a whole day in Afghanistan, doing absolutely nothing. And thankfully my guys went and got me some food, but I, I mean, that sucked, you know, I'm sitting there and just waiting for fuel for our plane.
0: So do you guys like, do you keep like, for example, do you keep like rations up there? Or is it just like, in case something like this happens, or is it just you guys just have the gear that you need for the mission and then you're under the assumption that you're gonna land again, or? Well, I think everybody was different. I'll tell you what, I'd only been in Afghanistan for about Hold on one second. Let me kill this really quick. I uh I've like I've said, I've done this completely unscripted and have kind of just hit the ground running on everything. <laughs> I had no idea that when uh my air would kick on or my heat would kick on that it would make that much noise. So, we know that for now on that we just got to kill that. <laughs> um I put it in eco mode. It's going to take a hot second, but yeah, that comes in clear as day. Um I'm sorry for cutting you off. Go back to what you were saying uh real quick i was just saying you know, everybody's different um i had
1: only been in afghanistan for maybe six weeks when that happened mm-hmm. so every flight after that i brought a shit ton of food okay and i mean i'm a little bit bigger than a lot of the guys i flew with uh, <laughs> not quite as big as i am now i was actually in shape back then but um you know i took a full-size backpack and i put an mre in there i put you know five or six red bulls in there i put um, a couple cans of soda a liter of water. Um, you know, bag of beef jerky. I mean I loaded up because I was not gonna get caught like that ever again. Usually you take a you know, if the flights five, six hours, you take a snack. Yeah. And then you just crush it when you get home. Um, you know, a lot of times we'd crush it, we'd take a break and then we go to the gym, and then you go to sleep, you do it all over again. But that wasn't the first time that or the last time that happened, so from then on I always took a lot of food.
0: So was that the, the only
1: time that your base got attacked then or That was I, the I, worst one for okay. sure. Okay. Um I mean that's ballsy to do that. Those guys knew what they were in for. They knew that they weren't going to get real far. That was more of a statement because it was right. It was in t- beginning of 2010. We had that huge troop surge. I think we went from like 40,000 to like 130,000 troops between 2009, and 2010. Wow. Okay. Because the Taliban in the seven, eight years after we invaded slowly kind of rebuilt. Mm-hmm. And then in 2009, they really started fighting hard again. So we had to you know, up up our game too, and Bagram was the biggest base, you know, it was the symbol of America in the country, and they, you know, as far as the Taliban goes, that was the most organized I've ever seen them, and uh, I know they got, they did end up getting into the base a little bit, there used to be some really cool YouTube clips of it that mm-hmm. actually got declassified, um, but, you know, I didn't get to see or experience any of it, because I was sitting on my steps of my plane waiting for us to kind of get rescued
0: were you ever on base when any of those attacks happened yeah
1: and they weren't every day um usually it was mostly rockets and mortars Uh, anybody that's ever been deployed knows that Um, what they just
0: fire them in or
1: yeah so it it doesn't really take anything to shoot a rocket or a mortar right and those guys aren't stupid they'll go especially in iraq it was worse but a lot of times they don't even shoot them themselves they'll they'll put a mortar tube down fill it with ice Put the mortar in and then walk away, and then by the time the ice melts, the mortar drops down. It shoots off. Oh wow! They're long gone. Yeah, or they'll set up a couple rockets. They'll pay a farmer, you know, twenty bucks, or threaten them and say, "Hey, after you know, an hour after we leave, shoot these off at the base," because they know we're not going to go take out the farmers. Yeah, they're not dumb, you know. And they're it's wishful thinking. They know there's probably no chance of anything bad happening, but they're still going to try. And, you know, they got lucky every now and then. Um, I was telling you earlier, I actually had a close call in Iraq where one went right over my head. But, I mean, that wasn't
0: common. So, like, it's just <clears> randomly <throat> like you're you're walking back with your lunch and all of a sudden you're yeah. up. Phew.
1: Yeah. I mean, it didn't really matter what time of day it was a lot of times, depending on what, you know, what area of the countries you were in. Night was a little bit more prevalent. But, yeah, I mean, you're just walking. And the, the, the day that I had my close call... Um, the siren didn't go off the only alarm didn't go off it was it they must have shot it really really close to base mm-hmm. so it didn't have time to get picked up i mean it flew right over my head probably 50 feet over my head blew up right in front of me i watched it all happen and here i am in my shorts and a t-shirt with my food it's midnight <laughs> you know i got my tennis shoes on no socks i don't have my shoes tied i'm just going to get food so i can go play xbox because i didn't fly that night and you know i think daniel took my head off and i mean you kind of get used to it to the point where the sirens would get off, you wouldn't even go like into a bunker anymore. You just go outside and start tossing the football or go light a cigarette up.
0: Holy fuck, dude. Yeah. So it's like one of those where you just you're desensitive to 100%. it. A hundred percent. Well, how many times is it going off? Here, we'll say this, like how many times is it going off in a week?
1: Well, I mean in some bases maybe like the one in Iraq I was in it was probably maybe ten to ten to twenty times a day.
0: Holy shit. Are you
1: serious? Yeah, well I mean like I said, mortars dime a dozen, you go into china or iran and buy them so
0: we shoot them off all the time what kind of fucking bodegas do they have over there were they yeah, like right? with like beef jerky red bull mortars <laughs> well you know that's like fake Af-
1: watches afghanistan that's the it's dr- it was drugs they that's how the taliban got all their money it's al-qaeda got a lot of their money was was drugs and they'd you know go sell their drugs for cash and then they'd you know, on the black market, buy a lot of weapons. I'm sure a lot of times it probably wasn't even black market. It was probably a lot of governments just going, okay, here, don't tell anybody. So what are,
0: like, what drugs are they selling over there? Are they most, set, It like, was mostly heroin. Okay. It was some,
1: some pot and mostly mostly heroin. I mean, there there were a lot of times, you know, I think the most, that any of the ops I was ever involved in, it was like maybe 2,000 pounds of black tar. Holy shit. Yeah, I mean, a couple million bucks worth. So, so people you know,
0: are just moving a literal
1: ton of heroin. Oh, yeah. Weed, heroin. Yeah, I mean, I don't remember what the stats are now, but I think it was something like 90% of all like the opium in the world was, at one time, a couple of years ago, coming out of Afghanistan.
0: Well, that was the ongoing question on why a lot of soldiers were over there, was they were like, yeah, there's soldiers over there that were reporting that they were carting heroin yeah. fields, or poppy fields, excuse me.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, there was a lot of stuff going on, you know, with our troops and what they were doing over there, and you know, it wasn't our business to tell these farmers how to live. Mm-hmm. Um, so a lot of times it got overlooked. We just tried to figure out how it was getting distributed because obviously the people that end up with it are the ones that are bad. Yeah, might not, I mean, you're also talking about these arid countries that don't have fertile ground. So there's only a couple things that will even grow there.
0: So I, I, I'm on, I'm obviously unfamiliar with with poppy. Like, is it poppy? That's yeah, the poppies. initial plant. So poppies. So does that just does that grow in sand then, or is that like a certain type of soil that it's, like ninety percent of this is coming out of the Middle East?
1: Um, Afghanistan kind of a little bit different climate than the Middle East. I mean, there's it's soil; it's just very dry soil. Mm-hmm. They're very, very good at, um, um, you know, through more so in the last couple decades because the Soviets cut off all their water when they dammed up a lot of the rivers in the um, middle part of the 20th century. So it's a little bit more dry than it used to be, but they're very good at building irrigation. Mm-hmm. And I mean, you'd be amazed at what they can get to grow in these dry ass fields.
0: Well, yeah. Well, there's yeah. a will, there's a way. If you know, yeah. You need if it's the difference of of living a decent life or a yeah. shitty one. I, mean, I imagine farming, you figure it out. It's a farming culture, so that's all
1: they've been doing for yeah. you know hundreds of years. Pomegranates were real big over there too.
3: There's um, a there's tons of YouTube videos of like uh, soldiers and marines walking through you know eight foot tall like like forests of weed, just plowing through it, pushing the shit around. Holy shit. Yeah, you know, in the plane, you can't tell how tall these, it is. Yeah, and when you see a guy
1: walk and then disappears, you're like, oh, shit, okay. That's either a really, really short guy or that's a really tall bush.
0: Yeah. Well, then you can kind of figure <laughs> out what the depth perception is then. Yeah. Yeah um that is absolutely crazy i had no idea about that i didn't even know they grew weed over there i, I figured they'd be frowned on yeah. like heavily well i think mean the
1: afghan kush comes from buddy
0: I, you know what that was the first thing that was going through my head i was like <laughs> it was like the afghan kush a couple of summers yeah, hindu ago hindu kush
1: mountains run right through northern Af- northeast afghanistan man that's i'd
0: love to know if the lineage of that is literally like from afghanistan where it's like you get some of these yeah yeah oh really yeah, oh, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, this is I'm learning more and more every day. Am <laughs> not saying take a vacation over there? No, no, no. Um, we were talking we're talking about maybe doing Egypt as soon as like we're able to start traveling again. Um Cassie was talking about how his family, well his stepdad's from Egypt mm-hmm. and they were traveling over there. Obviously we're talking about all the traveling and stuff like that and how he grew this as
3: best as possible. And he got called a terrorist.
1: Yeah, I think it did, from what you were telling me earlier, I think it did a little bit too good of a
0: job. <laughs> <laughs>
3: I'm in am a I'm a thousand year old market for some like birthday party for a profit essentially and it's packed I mean it's packed like Summerfest nuts to butts packed and someone called me a fucking terrorist I couldn't believe it I mean I didn't really know what they said my stepdad would tell me later but yeah that <laughs> guy called you a terrorist I couldn't believe it I was shocked and you're like and you're like no dude it's cool like you just start yeah, talking totally right cool. away yeah. I'm like I
0: got the scotty accent like it's all good bro <laughs> oh funny story.
1: I don't know if I ever showed you my tattoo, but uh, this actually is, I don't know if you're a collector, but they make these little plush toys called Dunnies, it's four inch tall vinyl toy. It's a rabbit and they come in all different, you know, local street artists will, they have special editions and whatever. Mm-hmm. Well, my tattoo buddy, all my military friends, we got together and got these Dunnies tattooed. Everybody's are different. I have two. Mm-hmm. So this one is actually the terrorist Dunny and his little flag says Jihad
0: mm-hmm.
1: and then he's got a bomb vest on.
0: Oh, I just saw the vest. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So it's got one second left on the TNT bomb vest. I mean, it's a car- It's a caricature of a terrorist, but mm-hmm. I had to... Uh, what's that one?
3: What's that? Good luck trying to re-enlist with that one. Yes.
1: <laughs> yeah, that would get changed into a ninja real quick. <laughs> and then what's the other one then? The other one is actually um, Ghost from Call of Duty. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's actually my character right now in Call of Duty. Yeah, so this is kind of my yin and yang tattoos. Like, this is me in the, you know, the units I deployed with, and these were obviously the guys that we were going after. Yeah. So I got this one when I got back from Afghanistan. I got this
0: one when I got back from Iraq. Speaking of Call of Duty, do you ever get guys being like, oh, I totally know what you mean, bro. I'm all up, I'm all up on the wars. One, when I got to Afghanistan, uh, SEAL Team 4
1: was actually in the, in the uh, building next to us, right? Mm-hmm. Well, I'm obviously in an Intel unit. They're obviously, you know, what they do. And they sucked at Call of Duty. I mean, we destroyed those guys in Call of Duty. And they would get so pissed at us because we'd be like, don't you guys do this for real? Like, didn't you just... <laughs> didn't you do this last night like you literally did this exact thing and, and i'm like well you know at least i didn't get my ass kick, you know kicked in call of duty last night you know we just had we just had such a great rivalry with those guys but it was all call of duty that sparked it one of my buddies actually talked so much shit that one day he woke up outside of his room on the on the ground on the sand outside <laughs> what time on? did they lock the door yes. Lock him
3: <laughs> yes i'm surprised they didn't throw like flashbangs in, in your guys' rooms and shit
1: yeah they well and i think he got back at them because they all wore those stupid vibram five i thought they were stupid those five fingers sh- and all of them because they would take them off at the door mm-hmm. and it just went back and forth and back and forth i remember i used to i used to lift every day when i was over
3: there and those guys would always be like i can't believe you're an in intel you know because i was just i was young.